You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me talking Michigan's 19-17 to win over Illinois. Steve, I think you and I both mentioned that we thought Illinois would present a physical challenge, push Michigan in a few key ways. I don't think either of us predicted it to be this much pushing. So we'll talk about what went wrong, but also what went right. You know, I was doing my postgame grades and and I came away. I mean, every single phase, passing offense, pass defense, rushing offense, run defense, special teams. I mean, every single phase had room to improve, but I also think every single phase had something that they can hang their hat on like I didn't I didn't have I didn't see any colossal terrible performances from the Wolverines it was just a closer than expected game on a weekend where Ohio State had a closer than expected game TCU had a closer than expected game uh, Tennessee lost you know USC's game was was down to the wire I mean it, it, even Georgia against Kentucky only winning by 10 points and scoring 16 points so I little bit of a survive and advance kind of Saturday for some of the college football playoff contenders. But Steve, sticking to Michigan, because that's really the only game that matters in the scope of Michigan's development as, as a team, 19 points on the fighting Illini. Illinois is a good defense, but but certainly room to improve. I think the thing that jumps out the most to me, there, there's a few things, but but really eight drives inside Illinois' 40-yard line, 19 points. And, you know, we've talked about the red zone issues. I don't think this was as much of a red zone issue as much as it was just an execution issue. Uh, You know, you saw the deep ball passing only two for 10 on pass attempts of 10 yards or more. Michigan was pretty bad weather day to pass. I I don't think anyone should have expected Michigan to to sling it all over the field. But two for 10 on pass attempts of, of 10 yards or more. 18 for 34 passing overall. Run game. Certainly was dealt a tough hand. I mean, Donovan Edwards is already out, and Blake Corum pretty much. I mean, he might he was out for the second half. He had one carry and two total snaps in the second half. If he had been healthy the whole game, I think Michigan was on pace for roughly 200 rushing yards, which is which is low by Michigan standards, but high by Illinois standards. But in the second half, obviously, 19 carries, 45 rushing yards for the Wolverines. So. Steve, what what jumps out to you most about the offense? It really felt like a game Michigan just needed to get through. Just get through it and don't lose and hit the reset button next week. I don't know if the weather will be wet, better, but I, my 
general assumption without pinning one name or anything like that is that Michigan's offense will be a little bit healthier next week. But your thoughts on the offensive performance in this game? Uh, yeah, just just the passing game all around just kind of discombobulated, honestly. Uh, and, and that's an all-around comment. Uh, receivers dropping some passes, missing some opportunities. McCarthy with a, a, a lot of overthrows. Just not a ton of rhythm. Uh, you know, and I think that that's got to be concerning for Michigan because it's it's now been a while since we've really seen the passing game in a rhythm. Uh, Colson Loveland kind of did maybe did a good Luke Schoonmaker impression yesterday, which I, I think having that tight, having some kind of tight end as sort of that safety valve or or even a guy that can make a bigger play uh, is just super super important for Michigan. We going back to last week, everyone we talked about the deep pass, but the intermediate stuff has been almost non-existent now for the last three or four games. So that that's my biggest takeaway because yeah, once, once Corum goes down, you know, I know Michigan, great offensive line, good running game. It's, it's difficult to ask your third and fourth string running backs to be super effective against what, what appeared to be a very high quality run defense in Illinois uh, and got to give major credit to Illinois, I, I, we like I said, we said before we recorded. I, I kind of wonder how a Wisconsin fan would feel watching that game. Uh, Illinois, super physical on both sides of the football, really looked like a like a Brett Bielema Wisconsin type team. Uh, and so, you know, credit to Illinois for for really kind of yeah, Michigan got punched in the mouth. I think for the first time all season. So you know. Last drive notwithstanding, though, I think, yeah, biggest concern, I think it should be a clear concern at this point, is just just an all-around situation with the passing game. You know, not just the receivers, not just the offensive line, which I felt like the offensive line was mostly okay. I think there were some inconsistencies there. But really, I mean, too many missed passes at quarterback and and too many mistakes at the receiver position. I, I, I don't know what you think. I, I thought there were – points in yesterday's game where, where McCarthy really kind of reminded me of games when Shea Patterson would struggle with with the happy feet and the overthrows. You know, I kind of remember Patterson having those same types of issues. Uh you know, and 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 you know that that's not going to get it done when you're going to be playing for a Big Ten title in a playoff spot next weekend. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how Michigan comes out next Saturday because yeah, Illinois really, which again, another question for you, Zach, I I think Illinois defense is better than Ohio state's defense. It's, it's almost hard for me not to think think, so. Right. Um, But even with that, Ohio state's super talented everywhere. They always are. So it's, it's not as if it's going to be like a lot easier or anything like that, but Michigan just has, they just have some improvement to make in the next week. I guess there's really no other way to put it. They do. They do. They have to, play better and and I I do think Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards being there in that second half this game probably isn't coming down to the wire quite like that but at the same time one you don't know what they're gonna what their availability is gonna be next week even if they do return you don't know you know who's full strength or anything but two Michigan is supposed to be equipped to handle some adversity here and there and, and it started to add up I mean it says something that a third of Michigan's passes went to 
a third string tight end and a, that's a true freshman and a fourth string walk on running back. So clearly injuries are taking a toll, but Ronnie Bell was healthy. He had three catches on eight targets. Andrew Anthony was healthy. He had zero catches on four targets. Roman Wilson had a drop. Cornelius Johnson, I actually thought had a really nice, quietly nice fourth quarter. It wasn't the downfield stuff. His yardage doesn't look like anything jaw dropping, but four catches in the fourth quarter. I think he kind of almost like a tight end was a little bit of a safety valve for, for McCarthy when, when the pocket was collapsing, he was trying to just find somebody, even if it's not a first down, just, just move the ball forward so that you're not stuck with a third and 10. I thought Cornelius Johnson for, for having a season that I don't think even he would say has lived up to his expectations. I, I think he had a quietly nice fourth quarter with those four catches comment. Yeah. I want to know if you saw this too. And, and this is what I hope this doesn't sound too crazy. I, you know, the, the bad snap where McCarthy recovered and, and hit Johnson for the first down. Yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I think the play of the game, if you watch the replay, the ball's like low to the ground and Tavier Dunlap actually hops over the ball to not make contact with it hmm. to give like, it looked like a conscious move that he made. If, if Dunlap touches that ball, it's going back forward and either Illinois recovers or there's no way McCarthy's able to regroup and make the play for first down. And Michigan's looking at, what, fourth and 12, fourth yeah. and 15, outside yeah. of field goal range. So if anyone wants – if anyone wants – like, go back and, and watch that play. And it looked like he – it looked like he was aware of the of the snap and, like, made a move to avoid the ball which ended up allowing McCarthy to, to gather it and, and make the play. I thought I, I could be totally off, but it, that's what it looked like both live and I, I went back and watched it on replay. Um, and, and if so, like, man, that's some 99 awareness uh, from, <laughs> yeah. from Dunlap on that play because that, that really could have changed a lot of things for Michigan, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter. So props to, I think, props to Dunlap for for a super heads up play in a key situation. Well, and and McCarthy also maybe it was crossing his mind. Maybe he had time to think about it. But to to pick up his knee literally what a millisecond before he picked up the ball or touched the ball even, you know that's that's the little stuff that kind of has to break in your favor in these games sometimes. I mean, think about the the Iowa game in 2016, which I would say is the most comparable. I know it's on the road, but it's probably the most comparable game to what we saw Saturday that I can think of where a very good Michigan team, unbeaten Michigan team just gets punched in the mouth, but also made a lot of, had a very uncharacteristic game. And in that game, nothing broke in Michigan's way. In this game, a few things broken in Michigan's favor, but yeah, I mean, you know, both run game and pass game. There, there were moments that I think Michigan, they can go into film room and it's not going to be like this, admonishing or or this gigantic like oh you screwed everything up like I think the passing game I thought Colston Loveland I thought Cornelius Johnson made some really nice plays and I thought you know we finally saw them do the screen game a little bit to to the running backs I you know with a couple people in the press box were kind of wondering like oh were they saving that for Ohio State week and and it's possible but you know also if you're trying to utilize your talent that's the those are the kind of plays that you need to do and and theoretically Michigan should be able to win a game even against a good defense without all schoonmaker quorum and edwards i mean they have veteran receivers and so while there were some good moments and michigan did win 
I think for me, I think that I think there were a lot of drives where they squandered opportunities, whether it was, I mean, obviously not necessarily Blake Corum's fault, but the, the fumble on the 13 yard line to close the first half, all four field goals were drives where Michigan could have, whether it was play calling, whether it's execution could have kept progressing down the field. As far as Ohio State versus Illinois' defense, I do think Illinois' defense is better. I think Illinois has the best cornerback in the Big Ten in Witherspoon, and I think they have the best defensive tackle duo in the Big Ten in Newton and Randolph. Ohio State, though, one, they have a better offense, so it's going to sting more if you don't score. But then, two, I think they're more capable of the big plays. Uh, Illinois' defense is a little like Michigan's where, I mean, they can force turnovers, but but they didn't pick McCarthy off or anything, and, and there weren't any sacks, which credit to McCarthy for the pocket awareness. You mentioned the happy feet, but also to avoid a sack in a game like that and and avoid an interception, you know, because the happy feet is fine if you don't throw a pick. I think the, the concern is that you miss receivers downfield and then you make mistakes, and and he might have missed a few. I know there's that one replay of Colston Loveland being wide open in the end zone, but at the same time, you know, there wasn't that giant. I mean, if he throws a pick yesterday, Illinois probably wins the game. Maybe they don't, but but it it, it felt like a game where the margin of error was that thin for the passing game, and that's that's probably why Michigan went so run happy in the second half. Steve, I don't know what you think about this. I I felt like 19 second half carries was too many for Michigan. I mean, one I, of them went to Blake Corum. Yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know, man. I, 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 again, we know we know what Michigan's identity is, but your two best backs are out. Maybe your two best players uh, running the ball on second and ten when you're trailing too. In a, like in you're a, not a, running at the clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a non in a non four down territory, either. You know, it'd be what I I, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be that bad. You know, if if they were like, you know, if they were running at on second and ten from like the like Illinois thirty eight, maybe. But even then, uh, yeah, that's people the 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 play calling stuff can sometimes get overblown. But but those decisions, when you're yeah, you're facing a better defense, and you have, I mean, that's that's where you have talent. You have tons of experience at receiver. Like yep. you have a, a talented quarterback. You don't. I'm not saying get the ten, but you should be able to get your six or seven in the air, you know. And 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 so yeah, for for this, you know. And again, it's it's one thing if Corum and Edwards are there. I think that changes that gives Michigan a little more leeway to do that. But you know, maybe he gets there someday. But C.J. Stokes is not Blake Corum or Donovan Edwards right now, and and neither is Isaiah Gash. There were a few instances of that yesterday in the second half. Yeah, where it felt you know like like. Michigan, I feel like the term I've seen it mentioned is sometimes Michigan almost kind of has an arrogance to the way they run their offense sometimes uh, where they, they I think that's a, that's a good term because they firmly believe their play calling their scheme, how they approach the offense in the fourth quarter was fully, we're going to score a touchdown and physically impose our will. And they didn't, I mean, they won, but they did it like, they had the most passive comeback attempts that you'll see. Yeah. Kicking the field goal to get it within two was the right call at the time. No doubt. I mean, that was, you know, the, the, but you know, yeah, more like mid late third quarter, early fourth quarter, there were just a few instances where it was like, okay, we get it, but 
come on, you know, and that I, I think if, if anything, in a way that gives me that, that would cause me to have a little bit of trepidation about next week, because you, between Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Ronnie Bell, you're talking three receivers who have played a ton of snaps, have made plays in given games. Uh, you should, those guys need to be utilized in those situations a little bit more effectively. And, and, I don't know. I, I just have a hard time buying that Michigan is saving all this. <laughs> you know, that, that was a game that they easily, like, I, I agree. I, I think Michigan, I mean, obviously fortunate to win, but man, they, they caught a couple pretty significant breaks too that allowed them to, you know, kind of finish the comeback. So that would be where I, that's, you know, just maybe like, I know Eric all's out, Luke Schoonmaker out too. You know, and I think we've talked about how valuable Schoonmaker has been throughout the season when playing. But, yeah, where is the receiver play gone? Uh, you know, it's just very frustrating to see them almost like it's it's a little bit of that kind of just beating your head against the wall type type mentality at, at certain points in the game. And, and, yeah, I mean, of course, they came back and won, but it doesn't mean what they did was the, uh, the most effective way. Uh, to get it done. I mean, because it was, I mean, you're talking about a last play field goal to win it. I mean, it's just, you know, even me watching the game, not emotionally invested anymore. We've been doing this for so long. That's just frustrating to watch sometimes as a football fan, knowing you have a five-star level talent at quarterback and three senior level receivers. It can be very frustrating when you're watching it live. It it can. And, and, and I'm sympathetic to the weather. I mean, the, for those that didn't, no, the winds were like over 20 miles an hour. The flags were pretty stiff. I mean, the whole game, really, there wasn't like some break where it was suddenly fine. So so I, I don't think it would have been fair to expect Michigan to throw for 300 yards in that game. But how crazy is it that Michigan is trailing in the game? It's the fourth quarter, and Illinois is stacking the box and effectively stopping the run. They're predicting run. That's how predictable Michigan's offense can get at times. I don't think that they're always predictable, but it does feel like they get into these rhythms, I suppose, where it's like a I lull. Think, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, it's, whereas like USC, you know, I watched USC last night. It's like every single snap could be a 25 yard bomb downfield. And, and a lot of times it was, and, and granted UCLA is not Illinois defense and USC is not Michigan's offense, but on paper, Michigan's offense should be much more proficient at mixing in the pass and, and a really effective deep ball passing game. And when both your running backs go down, it should not be 50-50 run past the rest of the game. It, it, it can be if you're winning, but if you're trailing, I mean, there, there should be much more urgency. You know, that's where Roman Wilson, one catch. Andrew Anthony, zero catches. Cornelius Johnson, five catches but not a ton of yards and wasn't really a part of the offense until the fourth quarter Ronnie Bell three catches but needed eight targets to get there I mean those are just surprising numbers from a five-star quarterback from a veteran group of receivers and also week 11 and Steve I wanted to ask you about this you know because because really since September I remember asking Ronnie Bell and JJ McCarthy about it in week two or week three because they, they use this phrase, meat on the bone, which I think is a fair phrase for Michigan's passing game, where I think they're leaving yards on the field. 
They're leaving points on the field. I don't think there's been a game this season, maybe the Indiana game, where Michigan got all it could or reasonably all it could from its passing attack. So, Steve, heading into next week, I, I do you think it's possible, because J.J. McCarthy said that he feels like the meat on the bone can come off next Saturday. Do you believe it? I mean, do you buy it? I mean, I, I, I don't know if it would be 18 for 34 for 200 yards again, but it just feels like this Michigan's going to beat Ohio State a little bit in spite of its passing attack. I think its passing attack can be efficient. I think it can be effective, but we have not seen it be a weapon for Michigan really all season, except when they played Indiana, who is probably one of the worst teams in pass coverage in Power 5 football. And in the last four games, the completion percentage is right around 52, 53%. Do you believe that this that the meat can come off the bone in one week? Or is that going to be something that Michigan has to go into next week, understanding that it's it's not going to be a game where Michigan can have a balanced offensive attack and kind of needs to be run heavy to have a chance? I mean, this is pro- this will be the theme of our week. I mean, a lot of the questions for Michigan offensively are, are really fully going to depend on the health, right? I mean, there's just no way to avoid that being a, a factor in any discussion about their effectiveness on offense next week. But, you know, it, it's, I've watched Ohio State, they're obviously there on every week. Um, I've watched about as much of, yeah, I watched them quite a bit and, and they're susceptible. So I think for Michigan, I think what it, it comes down to is just Uh, It doesn't, it's never, it doesn't, they can beat, I think they can beat Ohio State without the passing game being the showcase, obviously. But we had like, last year, Michigan was, they were an an effectively, had an effectively opportunistic passing game. We haven't seen that, like, in a while. Indiana, like you said, probably the best example, you know. Uh, Throws are going to have to be made. If Michigan's going to win this game, there's just no way around it. Can they? I mean, I think so, but a lot of players have to, a lot of guys have to play better than they've played the last four or five weeks for that to happen for sure. Because, you know, I don't, it's just, this is not going to be a Michigan cannot do to Ohio State what they did to Penn State. Even if we think maybe Penn State might even have a, I don't know if they're still statistically a better running defense. Than Ohio State, but like I don't, I do not believe Michigan. Like theoretically, let's say Corman Edwards play with that, you know, I don't think Michigan can do to Ohio State what they did to Penn State. So there's a ton of meat left on the bone. Like I said, I you know it's been it is it's been a very it's been a hodgepodge of missing open receivers. You know, there's that talk about the receivers not get, getting enough separation, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we've seen examples of open receivers that are missed. Then we've seen receivers drop balls. Like it's just been a you know, just a, a mixed bag of of issues. So we, I expect Michigan will come out first drive against Ohio State and and have a really good scripted set coming out of the locker room. They're great and, on the scripted drive. Yeah, no, hundred percent. They're like a top right? five I mean, offense in the country. When, that's what that's what you think. Like you watch them. You well, you, yeah, you turn on the game yesterday. They march right down the field, and you think, man, this is the best. Like Michigan got a chance to obliterate them and then they you know that was about it uh you know from a sustaining situation but but yeah I mean it I don't know it, it's 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 really hard to buy that all the meat that the meat will come off the bone or however you want to say it uh next Saturday just because we've barely seen 
flashes of it uh, in the last three games. You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm going to, I'll believe it when I see it, but man, I mean, it's going to have to be a total of almost a total turnaround from just an execution and, and everything standpoint. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit, believe it when I see it. I, I think the one thing that I think can be done between now and Saturday that I, I believe can happen is I think you can start to throw some of those short passes some of the get the screen game more involved. And it doesn't have to just be the running backs. It can be, you know, it doesn't have to just be tight ends in the short game passing game. I mean, Roman Wilson's got wheels. Ronnie Bell can create separation quickly. I, I think back to the Iowa game, you know, the, the Ronnie Bell takes the, the run, the end around and scores. And that was like breaking a very good defense's red zone defense. So I think you can do, more kind of in the under 10 yards thing be it crossing routes pass over the middle of the field i mean that's that's kind of the whole what about a jail, jail, like a jailbreak screen yeah to a guy like wilson you know like that because that's yeah that's another area where it's been frustrating is these guys are receivers so you think receiver you always think downfield or or even bubble but like bell's excellent after the catch wilson's a guy if you give him a give him a few yards you know, he's a blade. He can get, if he gets in any open field, he can run away from people. You know, we just haven't seen, like, actually was refreshing to see a couple screens yep. mixed in yesterday. It's, it's like we 61 seen yards on two screen plays. Yeah. Like, and again, that, that's something I can see them utilizing. I, 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 now that's a wrinkle. I suspect we could see more of next week. I assume that's why, because I'm, I mean, had they run any screens to their running backs all year before yesterday? Like uh, maybe it felt like no. I'm sure they have. There's probably a couple in there somewhere, but like, yeah, it was just. But yeah, I mean, these guys aren't just you know a, a blazer like a guy like Wilson is not just a guy that needs to be down the field to make a big play. Like he's a guy if you get him the ball in stride and give him some momentum early, you know, he can make a he can make some really nice plays. And and like I I think you know one of Ronnie Bell's best best assets is as a blocker too. You know, I mean, so these guys can help. These guys can can be an asset um in the passing game without having to catch the ball uh it's just get, getting some of these guys involved you know do we see do they give AJ Henning some opportunities next Saturday in some capacity if as long as he's uh back Healthy, 100%. Yeah. yeah um but yeah i agree that's that's the other thing that's been kind of mystifying or however whatever word you want to use like that describes a mystery is you know there are other ways that these receivers can be effective in the passing game, but we just really haven't even seen them attempt it that much. I mean, they, they hit the bubbles early on in the season and then just kind of went away from it. Like, are we not, we're not seeing many bubble screens anymore. Are we? I mean, I mean it's like, no, uh, but it wasn't it early in the season. We, there was, I can't remember if it yeah. was, might've been one of the non-conference games even, but like they were just pounding that play to death and it was, and it was really effective. Maybe they just had that in their back pocket, and and they're going to try to utilize that next week. Ohio State would be the perfect type of team to run that stuff against. I think Michigan can beat Ohio State on the edge with your receivers blocking their defensive backs, and it will make their linebackers have to think a little bit harder. But yeah, yeah. and that's so that's something I think can be done between now and Saturday. What I'm very skeptical of, and I'm a little bit more believe it when I see it about it is anything 10 yards or more. 
And this is not to suggest that J.J. McCarthy can't do it or his receivers can't do it, but there is a preponderance of evidence against Michigan being able to have an effective deep ball against Ohio State. So far this season, J.J. McCarthy is 38 for 83 on pass attempts 10 yards or more downfield. And that's against some pretty meager pass coverage. I mean, it's not like they're playing Iowa and Illinois and Penn State every week. I mean, that's against Hawaii's and Yukon's and Colorado State's and Michigan State's and Indiana's and Nebraska's. I mean, they, you know, the, they have not played this who's who of great secondaries this season. I think they've played three very good ones in Penn State, Iowa, and Illinois. Ohio State's probably, they, they're, they're probably in that group, but maybe a tad below just in terms of efficiency statistically. And and on passes 20 yards or more, yeah, I mentioned the completion percentage 10 yards or more, 20 yards or more, it's even worse. It's 11 for 36. I mean, at that point, it's, it's, you're almost surrendering a down, taking a shot downfield. And I don't want to say that they can't do it because I do think it's important to keep defenses honest by trying everything. But, but man, that efficiency is just not effective. And if you look at the last month or so, it's even worse than that. I, I'll pull up the numbers in a story, but yeah, it's just that I don't. I don't believe there's meat off coming off the bone next Saturday in the deep ball. But I do think this offense has so many different types of weapons: tight ends, receivers, guys in the slot, running backs. I mean, gosh, Isaiah Gash was making catches. He had three catches for 24 yards, so, and he was pretty open on the on the one that he dropped. Right, so it's. It's been surprising that the Michigan hasn't utilized that type part of its game more to the point where I'm skeptical that they will suddenly break it all out against Ohio State. But I do think if Michigan's coaches are reflecting on, okay, this passing game needs to be better, I think that is one area where they can get better instantly. Deep ball passing game, that might take time. If I'm being honest, it might take an offseason. You know, in terms of McCarthy and the receivers kind of figuring it out, not just figuring it out, because I do think the throwing talent is there and I do think the separation can be there occasionally. But I think doing it when when the pass is contested, a guy's not streaking wide open, but but, you know, he's only got a step feels like there's been some issues catching in traffic while also making the throw where it needs to be kind of kind of the jump ball situations, I suppose. So that I'm a little bit skeptical on, but I do think that there is upward mobility for this passing attack, even with one week's notice. All right, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll talk about the defense a little bit better, but certainly still some areas to improve upon or talk about. And we'll talk about more about Michigan's 1917 win over Illinois. You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So, Steve, Michigan gave up 17 points. It's not a lot. You know, I think that's that's ultimately... For some, that is the only takeaway that matters. Is it was a close game. Michigan's defense made didn't allow a point in the fourth quarter. Made a lot of stops. I think there's credit due. I'm I'm not here to dismiss that. I mean, Michigan basically said with that field goal decision, which I don't actually have any disagreement with the the field goal attempt with three minutes ago. Not when it was fourth and eleven. If it had been fourth and four, I would have maybe said, "I oh, probably got to go for it there." And count on either a defensive stop and a touchdown or count on a touchdown in the moment. But when it's fourth and 11, I I have no issue with the field goal attempt because it allows you to win with a field goal on the very next drive. But with Michigan's fourth quarter, three field goals, the Wolverines were basically saying, we think our defense can hold up. And they did. They did. There were great fourth down stops. You know, Rod Moore, I thought had a great stop. DJ Turner made a great play. Earlier in the game, I thought Mason Graham had maybe his most important game. I don't know if it was statistically his best game or not for the Wolverines so far, but but definitely his most important performance. I'm curious about the third quarter, though, because Illinois averaged eight yards, more than eight yards per play in the third quarter. Steve, I, I, I think I, I think you and I think similarly, but I'm just curious your thoughts on that third quarter. It seemed like that's where Chase Brown really was able to to break free a little bit. And I think the thing that jumped out the most to me that that might be concern might be a stretch, but I am keeping an eye on it because it has not been the case all season is Michigan got pushed around a little bit, especially on run defense in that third quarter where Illinois, who's built a lot like Michigan, they even have the a, the same strength and conditioning program, even if they have different coaches in charge of them. But I am curious about that because that's a little bit more of a surprise. We're used to the passing game not being super efficient or not being super effective for Michigan. We're not used to Michigan getting pushed around on run defense. I mean, that was something you and I, when we're previewing these games lately, we've just been like, yeah, we just assume you know, that they'll that they'll look extremely good. Illinois is a good rushing attack, but Chase Brown had his most efficient run game in over a month. And it felt like that third quarter when the Wolverines really were trying, supposed to be dropping the hammer a little bit, felt like Illinois was able to gain traction and and they scored two touchdowns. I mean, Michigan hasn't allowed a third quarter touchdown all season. Illinois gets two. What did you see either in that third quarter or I guess overall about Michigan's defense that uh, maybe is giving you pause a little bit? Yeah, I mean, just based on what we've seen all year, the question is, was that an aberration or is it coming down the final stretch of the season? You know, I don't know. Uh, Or they haven't faced a ton of top-tier rushing attacks this season. That too. That too. Well, we've talked about, we talked about that last week with, with actually coming, going into next week with, with both teams. Uh, Haven't necessarily faced great, like haven't faced offenses that are really good at any one thing, I guess, uh, necessarily. So I thought the, Biggest thing that biggest thing that was a surprise to me. So, you know, Chase Brown 
very good running back, but it, it really felt like it was more, it was more about Illinois offensive line was doing some major work. I mean, Brown kind of had it easy, you know, and I say that again with the most respect, like excellent running back, best running back Michigan's face this year, for sure. Very good player, but it just, Illinois was, was moving Michigan. And like you said, we haven't seen it all year. I, I don't know. I, I can, can Ohio state gash Mich- or Michigan the same way Illinois did. I mean, again, the talent's always there. They're capable. I know Ohio state's guard play has not been spectacular. I'd be surprised if, if Ohio state came out and did something like that to Michigan in the third quarter. Like I'd be surprised if Michigan really gets pushed around like they did in the third quarter. I think it could have just been a, it, not not to like get weird. Wonder if Illinois was playing some inspired football too for Brett Bielema, right? With everything that he went through this week, you know, the, you always know there's 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 always those kind of intangibles and factors that can come into play. Uh, but also, like I said, you imagine watching that game as a Wisconsin fan. I mean, that's that's what Bielema's bread and butter has always been as a as a football coach. And I feel like Michigan historically has kind of always struggled against. Brett Bielema coached teams because he was able to effectively run the football. So, you know, I thought maybe for the first time, I thought Minter might've been out schemed a little bit in the third too, uh, because Illinois was effective in the passing game for stretches there as well to help open things up in the running game. But yeah, it really comes down to, is your concern that Michigan's going to get pushed around again? I think they could get pushed around on, on at points and, and maybe, a driver two, I just don't see that sustained success for Ohio State next week. It's just hard to say because, yeah, it's yeah. neither team, in my opinion, Michigan or Ohio State, you know, Ohio State doesn't play Illinois, have really faced, because now we're seeing that, you know, Illinois statistically was was pretty highly ranked on both sides of the ball, running running defense, rushing offense that they can be effective and that they're, I mean, their offensive line is, aren't they also semifinalists for the, the Joe Moore? I believe that was. Yeah. And they, they made a pretty good case. Didn't they? Yeah. Because even in pass protection, they only allowed no, no sacks is a part of it, but they only allowed three pressures. I was going to say, okay. I mean, not to segue, but got hit once not to segue, but to me, that was a much bigger concern going into next week than, than them being able to run the ball effectively in the third quarter. You know, I, I think Michigan will be will be good against the run next next Saturday. Never know if it's good enough. You know, it's hard to say, but not my most not definitely not my primary concern defensively coming out of the game. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the pass protect or pass rushing for Michigan was Illinois is a good offensive line. They have really good pass protection stats all season, but kind of like the passing game, this is weak four or five where the pass rush just hasn't been I don't want to say hasn't been a strength but it hasn't been something that Michigan could really hang its hat on it there's been moments there's been sacks there's been big plays here and there but and there were some yesterday but it's just it's a little too few too far between especially knowing how effective Ohio State's passing offense is with a clean pocket I mean, with a clean pocket, they're the best passing attack probably in the country. Under pressure, things start to fade. So Michigan's going to have to bring everything it has from a pass rushing standpoint next week. But yeah, that that's a little bit of concern, especially, I mean, yesterday we talk about the weather and everything. 
Tommy DeVito completed 70% of his passes. I know that's a little bit his game. He actually is averaging a 70% completion percentage on the season. But you would think Michigan, for all of its really great pass defense stats, I think it was top five in the country in yards per attempt allowed, passer rating allowed, completion percentage allowed. It felt like Illinois got to have the passing game that it wanted to have. Because it's not it's not a this is not a team, Illinois. I believe I saw a stat that they're that they're 0-3 this season when they give up three touchdowns or more. So this is not an offense that can compete with its defense, but it felt like they were able to get the little dink and dunk passes that they wanted. And and you know, thinking about Ohio State, some of those dink and dunk passes end up going for 50 yards with big plays after the catch with guys creating just a little bit more separation or Stroud being able to just throw over the top of a defense. So that's that I, I agree. I was actually going to pivot to that direction that I, I think the pass rush is more of a concern. I do think there's modest reason to con- to be concerned about Michigan's run defense. I guess they're they're Ohio state is the exact same question. Michigan has where they have two running backs who their top two running backs are hurt. I don't think Ohio State's going to run the ball effectively if it's if it's down to their third and fourth string guys. You don't think so? Did you watch the? Did you watch the? I wasn't half? able to because I I had uh, I was working and, working and they didn't. Right. They weirdly didn't have that <laughs> game in the press box. Hayden, but Hayden looked good. Okay, uh, I, I'm not saying good against Maryland or good against anybody. I mean, they hadn't they didn't run the ball for crap. Uh, before i mean henderson wasn't a, was definitely not 100% but mm-hmm. they weren't running the ball effectively he looked he definitely looked um capable i guess would be the best best way to put it uh okay. you know, I, I so does he look put, like I'll, the I'll, second I'll, best running back michigan has faced all season oh boy i don't know about that um it's actually more possible than i thought thinking about it, who michigan has faced that's you know i mean anthony grant i guess is number 2 Singleton, oh uh, yeah. yeah, Singleton probably. Well, no, but I mean, well, yeah, but Michigan shut those guys down. But those might be the you know Singleton could be the third or fourth best back. I, I don't know. Yeah. It could be Grant, but I thought Hayden looked one of my actually to be honest with you, one of my takeaways from just both games yesterday was that if this is Ohio State and and Hayden versus Michigan and CJ Stokes, I mean, I, I think I'd give Ohio State the definite advantage, even if Michigan's run defense is statistics. Ohio State's recruiting, I mean, they are the kind of team that they can well, that, there's, that's, yes. find a third string guy who's like, oh, I don't know what Hayden's recruiting ranking was, but like, oh, this is a really talented guy that yep. top five teams in the country wanted. Stokes has been good, but yeah, I, I'm looking real quick. I think, I'm sure Hayden, I know he was a four-star level guy. Eh? Almost three-star. He's in the top two, four, seven, but not like a five-star type. But either way, but I as you know, if Ohio State's going after him, yep, yep, no, a lot of other good teams probably are too. Yes, yeah, that was kind of one of my big takeaways from watching both games yesterday. Is like if this comes down to the third, fourth string back, you know, the the other thing is too. I you know, Ohio State Evan Pryor was a five-star. He like I think he tore his AC, like he's been out all year. That would have been there. That would have been the guy who was a five-star guy uh, behind. Henderson and, and Williams. So, you know, they're they're pretty banged up at running back when you consider that guy being out and then both Henderson and Williams uh really banged up. But you know, 
are we talking pass defense now or passing? Because I this history says whoever runs the ball better wins this game. But if Michigan does not get any pressure, and and I know we've talked about this, and you have the stats to back it up, uh, Stroud is going to just absolutely pick them apart. I mean, there's just it'll be Dwayne Haskins in what was it 17 or 18 2018 yeah all over again uh because that's what that's he's to me he's a lot like Dwayne Haskins was amazing pinpoint pocket passer when he has the time I mean even yesterday he Stroud made a few throws that I think only a few guys in college football are going to make the thing is he's able to just sit back there and wait so yeah, that's why the Michigan's lack of of pass rush. Like, are they going to have to generate? Are they going to are they going to blitz more often? Or you know, like what kind of looks are they going to give him if they get to him, or, or at least they don't even. That's the other thing, though. I don't. They don't have to like get to him as far as like the sack necessarily. It's just he's a guy that if you just if get you, him off schedule. Yes, get his. If you knock his rhythm off at all, he is a totally different quarterback. Just no way around it. To me, that's. Even though the running game has, like I said, has historically been what's decided this game, and Michigan did outrush Ohio State in a big way last year, and I, I think that is what won them the game. I, I just they gotta get him off rhythm a little bit. Yeah, and I was just pulling up the CJ Stroud pressure stats. His pat his NFL passer rating, where the max is one fifty eight point three, and and kind of anything above a hundred is pretty good. His NFL passer rating under a clean pocket, 139.3. I mean, those are Heisman numbers. Those are number one draft pick numbers. When under pressure, it drops down to 79.5, which, look, every quarterback performs worse under pressure than in a clean pocket. That's just kind of the nature of the game. But that's a pretty, pretty stark drop off. I mean, his his yards per attempt drops from 10.5 to 5.6. His completion percentage drops from 70.4 to 43.1. That's that's about as big of a drop-off as you'll see, and that's a testament to how good he is in a clean pocket. But also, I I, I think even, even as a second-year starter, that is still a recipe to get him, to humanize him, I suppose, is get him off schedule. Make him move around a little bit in the pocket. Make him work quickly. And so that's, to me, that's almost like the key of the game. There are other things Michigan can do, of course, but that is extremely important. In terms of Hayden running wild against Maryland, I I will just remind our listeners, Maryland gave up, what, 243 rushing yards to Blake Corum on a very high yards per attempt as well. I mean, that's that's really what started his, his Heisman candidacy or Heisman contention was, man, he just went absolutely nuts on on really the first Big Ten team that, the, that Michigan had faced all season. So take it for what you will. I, I don't. They're definitely poo, but he just, he just, you know, you can watch and see if a guy's sure looks like a good running back. I'm not saying he's, I'm not saying he's, you know, going to walk in and be a star, but he just, he looked like a guy that could be effective uh, okay. for them, I guess. That's, that's really all I meant when I was talking have, about him. Having not, right, seen, having not seen the game. I could I could buy that. I mean, it, yeah. it makes sense. Like they're they're very talented. That's kind of why you recruit as well yeah, as you can yeah. recruit is is to be able to <laughs> afford, you know, losses or injuries here and there. Uh, so so that will be definitely something to watch. I mean, it's it's crazy that both teams. You know, we talk about how much this game is decided. 
by who runs the ball more effectively. And yet both teams are kind of hobbled. I, I don't know enough about Ohio State's injuries. It feels like Michigan, I mean, the fact that nothing is structurally, you know, x-rays were negative, nothing is structurally off with Blake Corum. And the fact that he went out there and at least tried in the second half, I mean, it was pretty clear he did the one carry, but it was pretty clear in warmups, you know, not 100%. We'll see what he looks like in the next few days, but but it doesn't feel like this is like an ankle sprain or anything broken or anything torn. My suspicion, if he came out in the second half, was that it was it was closer to a hurt than an injury. It could still be an injury. That's not a promise. Just just generally, when you think about stuff with the knee, guys who walk out on their own power and jog back out twenty minutes later in full pad uniform, you wonder if given a few days to rest and recover, if they can be more ready to go than, than say a, a torn this or something like that. Steve, I wanted to ask you about one more thing in this podcast. And it's, it's, uh, I guess there's a little bit of an Ohio state, but less X's and O's, less stats, more demeanor or intangibles. I was struck in the, in the, in the press conference by, you know, J.J. McCarthy, he's always smiling. He's always, he, you would think that he, every single thing that has ever happened on the football field was all part of his grand plan. But Ronnie Bell, he's pretty straight up with us in press conferences. You know, they both were really coming off as grateful that they had to kind of get punched in the gut a little bit and recover. And and I want to get your thoughts on this because I, I actually kind of think this specific team, I think everybody says it after a win, of course, but I actually do think this is a team that can benefit from a game where they, whatever metaphor you want to use, whether they had to, they broke a sweat, they got punched in the in the mouth, whatever whatever phrase you want to use, because this team prides itself i mean really since last season but all year all spring summer fall and press conferences they took so much pride in in feeling like they were the toughest and grittiest team in the country and ironically of course you know as soon as they build this team identity around it they end up having their easiest 10 game schedule that they've ever had so i wanted to ask you about maybe the value of that game 11 being tough i think optimally if you're michigan it's maybe not the week before ohio state it's maybe against like a penn state type team or on the road versus at home against a team that is now seven and four i think they're a good seven and four but but at the same time i think i think michigan would have maybe preferred to be punched in the mouth sooner in the season but i want to ask you about the benefits of that because i i really i feel like every good Michigan team has been tested. And I think the great Michigan teams survive those tests. And I think the best Michigan teams thinking about last year, how they responded to Michigan state thinking about other top tier, you know, top five finish teams that Michigan's had over the past few decades, they're able to respond from that, that punch in the mouth, punch in the gut. I don't think I think sometimes that's coach speak or player speak. That's press conference talk. Like, oh, we we really wanted to feel it. I think this team actually did want a gritty game or to get punched in the mouth or to have to kind of fight back, work up a sweat a little bit. 
And I think there actually is a chance that they could be better off for it. But curious about your thoughts, Steve. Yeah, it's just a part of their process. But it is kind of funny to me for wanting to be such a gritty, grinded out team. They really haven't had to be gritty or grinded out a ton this season. Yeah, I think right. I think this just their style of play lends to people just thinking it's, you know, gritty and and yeah, but but no, they really have hadn't been challenged much, if at all, until yesterday. I I kind of wonder. Maybe you could chime in here. You know, they say like you know, new coaching staff comes in, it takes a while to like instill your culture. I know culture is something we've talked a lot about the last eighteen months, as far as you know, basically coming out of the COVID season, uh, where thing this this thing kind of did a 180 for Michigan in the positive direction. Do you think games like say Penn state last year, yesterday, is that a, is that a, a, is that proof or, or, or evidence, you know, that the, that the culture has, has sort of arrived or really that's where it becomes an actual asset on the field versus say like Iowa in 2016, or something like, you know, like a game like that, like it is, you know what I mean? Like it's cause it's, it is interesting. I fully agree. I think the way the game played out yesterday, I think in a way is, is I don't want to say it's a best case scenario because I think it was way too close for comfort for Michigan. I mean, we're talking one or two small breaks, not even big breaks. And this game goes the other way and everything looks totally different going into next Saturday. But yeah, just that, well, even like McCarthy, who who's you know not playing his best game, but is able to kind of get things collected and 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 drive the team down the field to get the game winning field goal. You know, I don't I don't know if it's a a confidence boost, but like in a totally different way, right? We can make the plays that need to be made when the time comes. Uh, and so, yeah, I you know that's something I've been cur- I was kind of curious about. It was one of the first things I thought about. You know, last night was you know comparing this game to Penn state last year. I now know they had already lost the Michigan state game, uh, but you know, I don't, maybe the Michigan state game. Jim Harbaugh did compare yesterday's game in the press conference to the Penn state win. Oh, did he? Yeah. See, yeah. Well, yeah. He dropped, he dropped the line. I think there are some parallels. I, I think there are some differences. This one was at home. Sure. The, I think Michigan got a little bit more of a triumphant, like the 44-yard play. I mean, it's as dumb as it sounds, I feel like the optics of a 44-yard game-winning touchdown is different than two field, three field goals in the fourth quarter to, like, skate by. It's it's probably do, dumb. Do you, think, and, do you think Harbaugh likes the optics of three field goals in the fourth quarter to win, though, though better than a – like, can't you see I, him I, sitting, sitting down today to watch the NFL, like, just thinking, like, that he probably just loved the way that Michigan won that game. I, I just got to think because he's such a, I don't want it like a football purist. Like he would think it was like the, that's how you win. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> what a way to win a football game, you know, like well, I, that I, is I just, very I, NFL style. I mean, I feel like sure. 19 to 17 is such a, like, I feel like the Detroit lions lose every game, 19 to yeah, 17. Right. <laughs> like yeah. it's just, and, and, and I, I think, I mean, ultimately I think Michigan celebrating the win. I think the one thing though, is I think if they had, there are two things that could have been different is one. I think if this had been a road game, no matter what, I think they would have, this would have propelled. Cause that's what it is, is, is their momentum being built from this win? Or do they feel like they kind of like backed into a victory 
which when it's when I always kind of say like a, when a kicker makes four field goals, that's great for the kicker. That's bad news for everybody else, because that means that you weren't scoring touchdowns uh, to the point where your primary source of offense was field goals. So that that's kind of I guess that's really the big question. That's not something that you and I can answer is was this a game that Michigan can really build momentum from? Because they did, they finally got tested. They've they've wanted to be tested all season, and partly due to the Big Ten being down, partly due to Michigan being good, they haven't been tested nearly like they were Saturday, and they got the test. And one thing I was kind of thinking about, and we don't have to parse through it all like this, but had Illinois not lost to Michigan State, because that game was like pretty, could have gone either way, right? And they'd gone into this to, to Ann Arbor yesterday, eight and two with the ranking next to their name, I feel like people would be feeling a little bit differently about the game. I feel like it would have been like, like as dumb as it is, like one game earlier in the season that, or, or Indiana, I think that was the other game that Illinois barely lost. It was kind of controversial to say the least against the Hoosiers. If either of those games go the other way and Illinois is ranked, they're eight and two. It's a little bit less like, oh, Michigan dodges disaster and more like triumphant victory over a ranked team that was pretty good so just something to think about I, I'm not making the argument that uh, you know one way or the other on it but it is kind of funny how much the optics influence the fan perception but I also sometimes wonder if if the way a team wins influences the players and how they approach game week I mean Michigan's 11 and 0 I assume whatever they do in practice and whatever their mindset is, is probably correct. But I, I, I do wonder if the gritty win, the gritty nature of the win can have a similar effect to that Penn state game. Cause that's, that's the comparison Jim Harbaugh drew. That's probably the one he's going to tell his players about because I felt like that game last year, that was the first game. I didn't predict Michigan to beat Ohio state last year, but that was the first game where I was able to write a column believing that it was possible. I don't know if I had the same kind of I don't think it was I, I don't know if yesterday's win was quite as galvanizing just in in style, location, opponent, everything like that. But I do think there is something to be said about a team that wants to win gritty actually having to do it because everyone wants to be a gritty team. I think every football team in the country wants, you know, to, to impose their will, be a gritty team, be tougher than their opponent. But when you're winning every game by 10, 15 points, you don't actually know if you can do it. Now Michigan has at least done it, and it can go into next week with that in its pocket. I still think, Michigan, this is going to be a very interesting test. We'll talk more about the Ohio State game. We'll have a whole separate preview episode. But it'll be an interesting test in terms of being on the road in a tough environment, playing a team that is more talented than you, something Michigan has not done this season. You know, I I still think there will be a few things that are – unique or new about the Michigan Ohio state matchup, especially for Michigan's younger players. But I do think reminding yourself that you can win gritty, I think can have an impact on the week ahead for Steve Lorenz. I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Be sure to check out all of our stories over at the Michigan insider.com, Michigan, not 24 seven sports.com got takeaways, got grades, got other stories. How about Jake Moody? We didn't really talk about him, but I think he cemented himself as Michigan's greatest kicker in history. He set the record for most field goals made. Uh, He's now top three in every scoring or kicking statistic that there is. And he's still got at least two games to go. And I thought, you know, finally gets a a game winner. First one of his career. 
you wouldn't know it based on how he kicked it, but but really strong performance from him. So I got a story about him. We got lots of stories over at the MichiganInsider.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. We'll see you next time.